Hawaii. A tropical paradise, a place where people go to get away from it all. But at night, a phenomenon happens that makes you pee yourself, literally. And then, we travel back in time, not literally, as great as that would be, we travel back in time to investigate a string of attacks in 1890s Nebraska. What was killing cattle and men alike? Some say it was America's first vampire. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Today's episode might be a little short. We're having some technical issues. So I kind of got to get everything done and get it edited. But I hope it still is a one-two punch of good stuff for you. And you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy every episode, whether or not it's short. But let's go ahead and get started here. We're going to sunny, sunny Hawaii. The island that never sleeps. Islands, are all islands volcanoes, technically? Technically, I guess, no. I guess most islands are just mountains that are poking up out of the ocean. But anyways, Hawaii, bunch of volcanoes. And Dog the Bounty Hunter lives there and um, Hulu skirts, and Lilo and Stitch. I have now exhausted all of my Hawaii knowledge. I've never been there. I'm not a big fan of flying over oceans. But there are people who are born there, and they don't have to worry about that. They just have to worry about Lilo and Stitch running around, blowing stuff up. So, in Hawaii, Hawaii has a rich, rich... I guess I know more about Hawaii than that. Hawaii has a rich, rich like legacy of like tribal warfare and cultures and stuff like that before the settlers showed up. And you have this community where you have both of those pretty much colliding, where you have like modern culture and then you have these old spiritual beliefs. And you have that in a lot of places around the world. I think just Hawaii seems to be more rich and magical because it's far away and you need a plane to get there. You know, I had a question the other day. Why don't dogs bark at planes? Why don't animals like freak out when they see planes flying overhead? You think that would be the weirdest thing in the world for them to see? A dog hates fireworks, but a jet can fly through the neighborhood and they'd just be like eating their soup. They don't eat soup, but they could be eating whatever they're eating. So bizarre. Anyway, so so much for having a short episode. Hawaii. Civilization and spiritualism collide. So in Hawaii, they have a particular... Some could call it a superstition. A, a skeptic could call it a superstition. Paranormal investigator could call it a actual event. But over there, they call it the Night Marchers. The Night Marchers. And what it is, is they have this thing that supposedly has been going on since the dawn of their culture. Where you have these high-ranking chieftains who have died, and they are now in the spirit world. But they still gotta get from point A to point B. They just don't sit in the grave. They wanna go visit this place. They wanna go through this particular portal on this island. They wanna go visit their great-great-grandchieftain. Get some advice. So they have to be able to move through the landscape of Hawaii. But these great chieftains aren't going to do it alone because they're the most powerful people in their history, in their culture. So they have surrounding them what's known as the Night Marchers. These are basically spirit warriors who create a convoy. So you'll see these... This it's What's interesting, it's not just a ghost with chains rattling. It's like basically a regiment of ghosts just marching through the street. 
And you know that this is the way that you know that you're running into a group of night marchers as opposed to just a random gang of ghosts marching in a straight line. They usually march at night because they don't want to be seen. When they march, you hear the sound of thunderous drums. The Metallica blaring. They carry torches, so you if you can't hear them right away, you can see them and you can go, uh-oh, those are the night marchers, I want to get out of their way. Because their goal is to intimidate you so you don't look at the chieftain. They also blow a big old conch shell. And you hear it and you're like, okay, dude, that's enough. I heard the thunderous drums, I saw the torches. You don't have to blow a conch shell in my ear. I'm leaving, I'm leaving. If you can't get away from these guys, if they have, if you're walking down an alley and you turn... And you see them like a marching band start walking down the alley. You have to show them fear or reverence. You have to show like, oh my god, you guys are so spooky. Please don't kill me. You either can strip all your clothes off and lay flat on the ground. And the night marchers will be like, yes, we are your superiors. And they'll walk right past you. Which actually is a great cover story. If you were like a peeping Tom in Hawaii, you'd be like, no officer, no officer. Night marchers are coming after me. That's why I'm totally naked running through the neighborhood. Officer's like, oh, have a good day then. And you're like, see, you hear the conch shell? The cops are like, yeah, go, go, go. Put your clothes on. Or if you can't take all your clothes off, you're supposed to pee all over yourself to show how scared you are. And the night marchers go, oh, look, that person is in fear of us. We'll let him go. You're just still just peeing. Again, a great excuse if you ever wet your pants in Hawaii, just be like, I'm going to have a ringtone that's just a conch shell in my pocket. I'm going to go to Hawaii. Walk around naked, covered in pee. A perfect, perfect alibi. Now, the problem is, is that they have had... Oh, oh, and I guess I should say this. If you don't pee on yourself or take all your clothes off and lay down bowing in front of them, they kill you. But it's even worse than that. Getting killed by a regiment of ghosts would be kind of cool thing to have on your tombstone. You become a night marcher if you don't do one of these things. They do kill you. And then you're sucked into their nightly voyages. Is it voyage if they're walking? Their nightly walks. That makes it sound like they're just walking around the park. But anyways, um, expeditions. You're now trapped as a night marcher for the rest of eternity. Now, the thing is, is like they've been doing these walks forever. But as cities have grown they've actually started to grow onto paths where these night marchers are. And you're thinking, okay, Jason, this is just like folklore, right? Like, obviously, this isn't a provable thing. It's one of those things that I'm sure people have tried investigating it, like paranormal investigators and things like that. Actually, I know that for a fact, because (laughs) let me get to that part. So in 2012, there is a guy, okay, he is, his name is Lopaka Kapanui. And he's a night marcher expert. You're like, oh, so he's like a ghost hunter slash storyteller. So you're kind of like, eh. He may be making this part up. But anyways, we're just going to keep going. So people have investigated this stuff. He's a night marcher expert. So in 2012, a bunch of lawyers call up Lopakaka. Wait, that's not his name. Uh, Lopaka. Lopaka. He's like, what'd you call me? That's not my name hangs up. They call him back. They're like, sorry, sir, we mispronounced your name. But we need you to come to our corporate office building in a shiny, shiny building in the middle of Hawaii because we want to talk to you about something. We know you're a night marcher expert. And he's like, I am. So he shows up and he goes, he's thinking, well, these guys probably must have seen some night marchers, right? He's like checking their pants to make sure that they didn't wet themselves. He's like, oh. And they say, this is the story they've been hearing going on in their building. 
There's a rumor going around in our building that the Night Marchers walked through our lobby one day. Blown conch shells, torches, everything. And it was freaking people out. And they apparently showed Lopaka, very careful pronouncing his name now, showed him a surveillance footage and go, look, and here you can see it. And he sees like these Night Marchers walking through the lobby. And he's like, oh, that is quite interesting. He apparently got an Irish accent all of a sudden. And he goes... So, yeah, that's what happens is places have been built over these particular trails, and every so often the night marchers will kind of take this trail, and they'll walk through downtown Honolulu. The lawyers go in unison, because I don't know which one said this, but they all said at once, there's another part of the story. There was a young maid, a member of a maintenance staff, I guess they're not called maids if they work at (laughs) at a law office, You're sitting there, janitors dressed up in a cute little French maid outfit. Anyways, there is a female maintenance worker working at this law firm in this building. And she was in the lobby. She saw the night marchers walk through. She didn't do any of the steps. She didn't take her clothes off, which, you know, it's really hard to get out of a sexy maid costume. So I understand that. She didn't pee herself either. Good. And so you don't want to ruin that costume. So the night marchers walked by her, and she told people the next day, the night marchers, the, these dudes walked through the lobby, and I was like totally freaked out. And people are like, did you take your clothes off? And then she filed sexual harassment forms against them. No, what happened was she said she saw it. She didn't do anything like that. She died, again, here's probably urban legend. She died the next day. And then... In a future march where the Night Marchers ended up marching through that building, one of her co-workers saw her as a Night Marcher marching through the lobby late at night. I think that's a really interesting story, and it, I always, it scares me more, people being sucked into like some sort of hell dimension than people just get like dying. I think the idea of someone watching this and not going through the proper steps and then getting sucked into this reality where for the rest of eternity they're just marching, which would have to be terrible for your feet. You'd have like plantar fasciitis and all sorts of stuff. I doubt the medical care for being a night marcher is great. You'd have foot problems always. So I think that is more scary than just the ghost killing you. I'm assuming the witness who saw her marching did pee himself because one... He knows the steps, and then two, he sees the actual ramifications of someone who didn't follow the steps. Now, that ending by Lopica may be a bit of a storytelling flourish to it all, because he is a professional storyteller. But the story of the Night Marchers has marched on through Hawaiian history for centuries. And I think it's just a fascinating look at what happens when you have like this paranormal, superstitious world that for the longest time were just marching through these trails throughout the islands of Hawaii. But as civilization grew and grew and grew and grew, it basically encroached on those borders between the real and the unreal. And now these marchers aren't going to change their patterns. They're just going to continue to march through these cities. And people who just happen to be visiting, people who don't know any of these legends, are sitting drinking coffee at Starbucks one day, and they hear a conch shell blow, and they look out the window. And while everyone else is pissing themselves, they're like, man, what's going on here? Is this some sort of biological agent making everyone's bladder loose? They're opening themselves up to becoming a night marcher themselves. You, there, this is a brief overview of the night marchers. There's tons of identified trails throughout Hawaii where people are like, hey, this trail is closed after sunset. And you're like, oh, because of vandals? They're like, no, because the night marchers will get you. And you're like, what? 
So basically, the moral of the story is don't go to Hawaii. If you do go to Hawaii, either bring extra pair of underwear or be prepared to be naked at any given point at night. And that's just living an exciting life. So let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, our next story is really kind of, it kind of falls into the same category where there's some official confirmation of it, but you have to go off a lot of like, I'm going to tell you the story and you go, that's an interesting story, but, and it would just be a typical ghost story if there weren't some interesting details in it. Let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. Let's go to 1895 Nebraska. Dawes County, to be specific. Little county in the middle of Nebraska. I don't know any Nebraskan stereotypes or accents, so you guys are going to luck out on that. I guess it, I just imagine Nebraska is just a big, flat state full of flat people wearing flat hats. and But not back in 1895 because it was populated by cowboys. So they had big hats. They were probably still flat. But anyways, in, in Nebraska, in Dawes County, you had a rancher come out one day. He has a cow ripped to pieces. He's like, Dag nabbit, that was my favorite cow. That was my loving cow. Bessie, why'd you leave me? He's petting it. Uh, all the blood is drained out of the cow. You're like, ooh, alien abduction. I already gave it away <laughs> what it is in the intro. It's a vampire. But anyways, he's like, ah, Bessie. He can't figure out what it is. He starts talking to other people in the area. He's like, hey, is anything wrong with your cows? And they're like, it's funny that you say that. I was sleeping with my cow last night. I mean, I was milking my cow last night. Everything was fine. And when I woke up this morning, torn to shreds. Completely torn to shreds. Other ranchers in the area are like, same thing's happening to me. Now, it didn't all happen on the same night. But they were having this ongoing thing. That'd be a very busy vampire. That'd be like the fattest vampire ever. He's like, must eat 10 cows a night. People started reporting a humanoid-like creature in the area. And people would be like, what What do you mean? Like, is it a human? And they're like, well, it kind of looked like a human, but it didn't act like a human. I was like, dun-dun-dun, they can't figure it out. Search parties, though, at this point, are really looking for the culprit, the cow killer that's doing all this stuff. And one night, moon long on the horizon, there's a guy walking around with his gun looking for this cow killer. And he sees a dead cow out in the field. And he's like, aha. Actually, that's not a clue. (laughs) They've seen dead cows all over town. But a clue is he sees some beast leaning over the cow. And he goes, aha. There's a clue. That's an actual clue. And he realizes it's a human. And the creature, well, it's not a human. It's a creature. I mean, it's human. And he's lapping up the cow's blood right out of an open wound. Dude's like, that's creepy. And he runs away. He didn't. Sh- there's no report that he shot him or anything like that. But he runs away. And so now they kind of have something to go off of. Yes, it is a human who likes to drink cow's blood. Still can't figure out how it's ripping these cows to pieces. Well, I guess they could just use a bunch of knives and Wolverine chopping people up. Wolverine was around back then. I mean, Wolverine's fictional, but in the fiction, I think he was like eight in 1895 or something like that. So it could have been Wolverine. Anyways. There is, now we step in our hero of the story, a young man known as Jack Lewis. He is a cowboy, and he's doing his wrangling thing. He's out with wranglers, throwing cows, I mean, throwing ropes around cows' necks and pulling them in and making them go places. They wrangle up cows. They wrangle them. But dusk is setting this night. Sun going over the horizon. 
I should tell you all these attacks took place at night, too. It's not a surprise that it's a vampire, but we'll get into some surprising stuff in a second. Sun's going over the horizon. Big, fiery fireball that gives the Earth life. Disappears and is replaced by Twilight. Jack Lewis is hanging out with his buddies, and he goes away for some, quote, personal time. That's an actual, that's actually what the articles kept saying. He stepped aside for personal time. So I, you can imagine what a cowboy does with his personal time. I guess most people would probably think he was going to the bathroom. I immediately assumed he was masturbating on the other side of a hill. But whatever he was doing, he was by himself. Hopefully he was just like reading a book. Because what happens is as he's, well, he's pleasing himself. He's most likely masturbating on the other side of the hill. He's very focused. He's thinking, you know, whatever cowboys think of. Whatever cowboys think of. I don't want to know. Leather, they're probably into leather. They're probably into like some like rugged stuff. Dusty women, like women just covered in dust. They might have just been attracted to normal women. But anyways, as this cowboy is placing himself on the other side of this prairie, on the other side of this hill, we see from the point of view of the vampire, it's thermal vision. <sighs> the vampire's like, what's he doing now? <laughs> That's a little embarrassing. Guys, masturbating. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him finish first. I don't want. I'll wait till he washes his hands. Vampire crawls, hides in the bushes. Jack Lewis finishes off. Vampire sees him kind of wipe his hands off. Vampire, that part of the story, there's no verification for. All we know is that Jack Lewis was spending some personal time alone. And while he was doing that, vampire jumps out of the bushes and lands on him. And. Jack Lewis, he's trying to pull—he's trying to pull his pants up. He's like, "Oh no, oh no!" But at the same time, he's trying to fight this thing off. And the first thing he does is he feels it try to bite into his neck, and at the same time, strangle him. So it's basically like a frenzied attack. He's feeling two hands around his throat, and then he's getting bit as well, really deep bites. And Jack is freaking out. He grabs his gun and starts firing off shots. Basically, he's—there's he's, no chance he's going to hit a guy on his back. With a rifle, maybe he had a pistol, but even then, you're shooting bullets right by your head. What he really needed to do was alert his friends on the other side of the prairie. They come over the prairie, and the creature sees them, and jumps off and starts running. And they all get on their horses, and they're like, Jack, what were you doing over there by yourself in the first place? And he's like, I was reading a book. They're like, where's the book? He's like, charge! And they all go off on their horses, and they chase this guy off into the night. And it gets darker and darker and darker. And eventually they lose him. Twilight has now turned to night and they lose track of this man who's out running horses. But Jack Lewis wasn't doing too well. He had facial wounds, like he was all cut up. And he had neck wounds, he was all bit. But he did survive. Now, what's, there's a couple interesting things about that. And you go, Jason, okay, so that's like a local legend. And it kind of is. We have no news articles that this event ever took place. That ends up red flag number one. But... Here's some interesting tidbits. This story is found on Nebraska's... Uh, this, let me find the actual website. This story is found on history.nebraska.gov. So it's on their official website. Now, they do have a section for folklore, but the, there's maybe f only four stories on this whole um, folklore section of this website. And they're usually like a mild ghost story. So this one sticks out of place as far as that goes. Most stories like this have some sort of conclusion. Most folklore like this has some sort of conclusion. Where when we talked about Bunny Man a couple days ago, you had 
when we look at the urban legend of it, you had the inmates escape from the prison, and then one kills the other one, and then he hangs himself, and now his ghost haunts Honeyman... Bunnyman Bridge! Bunnyman Bridge! Not Honeyman Bridge, which sounds delicious. I wouldn't mind dying there. You're like... It had a beginning, middle, and end. This one is basically the end is this creature's still out there. Whatever it was, they were never able to identify it. He never turned around and said, I defied the Christian God and I've been cursed. There's no moral to this story in any way, shape, or form. It's a series of events that happen. A final confrontation, only final because the guy took off. Now, there are some urban legends that do end like that, but for the most part, they tend to have some sort of satisfying wrap-up, even if the wrap-up is, and now he's a ghost. This one is just a guy was eating cows, and we shot at him, and we chased him, and we never saw him again. And there's no saying, and then on the 18th night of every February, he shows up to eat more cow. There's nothing like that. If we take into account that this story actually happened in 1895. There's a very, very interesting... So let's assume that elements of the story are real or the story itself is real. This is something that was very fascinating to me. You could have had real cows getting killed in Nebraska. From whatever, there was some maniac walking around with knives stabbing cows. They were a bunch of unexplained cow deaths. And someone created the ending of the story to explain for the cows. It's possible that the cows actually were dying and there was a human killing them and he was drinking their blood. And the story is for the most part true, except for the frenzied vampire attack on Jack Lewis at the ending. That might have been made up or it could have all been true. So we have this attack in 1895 that if somebody was going to make up a story about a vampire attack, you would just pick the things that you know from Dracula because those are the most commonly things known about vampires. In 1895, the book Dracula didn't exist. It wasn't written. It came out in 1897. So it's not like these attacks were happening and people go, oh, this is just like that book Dracula. And they, they started adding details onto it. It's almost like this, these events happened before anyone had ever heard that name, unless you lived in you know, Yugoslavia or Transylvania or something like that. Like, for an American rancher in 1895 to have ever heard about that type of vampire, they may have heard of an Irish vampire coming, you know, from their homeland, or a German vampire when they came over, and stuff like that. But this is basically like a vampire boiled down to its roots. A beast creature that drinks blood, that hunts at night, that is incredibly strong, and tries to tear your throat out. That's like if you took all the different versions of vampirism, or vampires from around the world, and boiled them down to their... One core identifier, that's it. The Irish one, it's like, oh, but then he also likes to do this. And the Spanish one's like, well, you got to like put a rock in his mouth. Like every other country has their own little take on the details. But if you boil them all down to their pure essence, that was this attack. And that's the book Dracula. But this attack took place before these farmers would have ever read that book. So that's another detail that makes it more plausible. Was there really a vampire running around Nebraska eating cows? Was there a creature who avoided humans for the longest time? It could have been killing these ranchers the whole time. It wasn't killing them. It was killing the cattle. But one night when it saw a man out there alone, it attacked him, and that man survived. Now, when I say, too, it wasn't killing other ranchers, it may have been killing people that weren't from around there. Settlers moving through the area and so forth. 
Because someone who goes missing in your area, you will know the next day. But if someone's traveling from New York to California goes missing, it's a little bit harder to find out where they went wrong. Like, what happened to them? They don't have cell phones unless they sent a telegram saying, I'm, I'm in the middle of Nebraska, I'm in Dawes County today. And then you don't get a telegram the next day, you're never going to know where those people disappeared at. The frontier of America would have been prime vampire hunting ground. You would have people traveling across this giant country in small groups, in pairs, maybe even alone, not in, in pairs, they're driving around fruit, but in pairs or even alone if they were very, like if they were on the run from the law or something like that. These huge stretches of nothing but wilderness. America would have been a prime hunting ground for vampires. And you find it's, it's kind of an interesting way to look at that. Because you would have had, let's, let's, let's put on our paranormal caps here for a second. You have these old world vampire alcoves throughout Europe. You have some in Japan and things like that. And as these expeditions are being sent over, these explorations and things like that, basically it would be the equivalent of if in your hometown they opened up a brand new fast food restaurant, but it was the biggest fast food restaurant ever. That's how a vampire would have seen America. Because everyone, you have families that have lived in Germany for a hundred years. If they go missing, people are going to notice. But when you start to have hundreds of thousands of people travel a perilous ocean to get to a wasteland, or a wildland is a better term for it, and begin settling across it, people go missing all the time. On the boat voyage over, when they first reach and the weather gets really bad that year, even another 100, 200 years, we're in 1770s, we're in the 1770s, we're in the 1800s, we're in the early 1900s, you still have huge stretches of land People are traveling across, and you have mixed in with these groups of settlers, just one vampire could be responsible for the disappearance of an entire colony, like Roanoke or something like that. America would have been a prime hunting ground for age-old vampires. Nobody knew who they were. Nobody knew their weaknesses. And they could hunt without regard to being caught. Because if you found a family slaughtered in the middle of nowhere, you would assume Indians, bear attack, bad luck. But most likely, you would just never find the bodies at all. And it could be like the Hawaii story, where they could be out in the wilderness hunting the way they've hunted for the past three, four hundred years in America. And as, and as our cities, again, are encroaching on the hunting grounds of these creatures that may be killing people one by one, hitchhikers, broken down motorists, things like that. As our cities, just like the Hawaii story, as our cities get bigger and encroach on their hunting grounds they've been hunting for three, 400 years in America, they don't have a choice but to start hunting in the cities if they aren't already. In the early days of America, there was no social safety net. If you came here, you had to work as hard as you could or you failed and died. And people from all over the world came over to try their luck at the American dream. But more than just people may have come over on those boats. Come over to give it their best shot to try to make a life in America, even if that meant killing us in the process. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>